spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here today to talk about regionals. It is, it is time to preview regionals as uh, everything is set to get underway on Friday. Well, as, maybe as long as you don't, uh, you're not watching the Coral Gables Regional. We'll have more on that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, regionals are upon us, Joe. It's, uh, you know, we, we've had the week to to digest the field and now it's time to uh to finally get into this and and get the 2022 ncaa tournament started yeah it's uh this is you know this week is always well it's busy so it goes by quickly i mean you and i have been feverishly trying to preview these things in print and and we've you know done some other things here and there and i know this week is also busy for people pinging us asking us for information which is i don't mind doing for other journalists and radio shows and podcasts and all that kind of stuff so you know there's there's all of that so it ends up, it ends up being a busy week um but this week is also difficult in that you know we don't, we don't have anything until you know so it seems like from selection monday until the games start on friday it's just like an interminably long wait even though it's only you know, three or four days, but yeah, it's, it, it is upon us. It should be a fun weekend. It's always full of surprises. It never has a regional weekend passed where we kind of shrug our shoulders and go like, well, you know, it was what it was. Like there is always something that's going to jump up and surprise us. And that's the beauty of it. Indeed. And uh, there's other things happening around college baseball. Um, you know, we had coaching change at, or uh, Baylor and Clemson both have had coaching openings get created as Steve Rodriguez stepped down uh, from Baylor on Monday and Monty Lee was fired by Clemson on Tuesday. The transfer portal is uh, heating up and just this morning as we record this on Thursday, Tommy White uh, from NC State ACC Freshman of the Year, Tommy Tanks, uh, has entered the portal. We will see where he ends up. Uh, and we'll see where Baylor and Clemson land on coaches as well. A lot to get to with all of that. But today we are going to stay focused on regionals uh, as the NCAA tournament is really what this whole thing is about. Um, okay, Joe. So let's, I guess, let's just start at the top here. Let's start in Knoxville where you have Tennessee, uh, obviously, as the number one seed in the, the whole tournament. They are in a draw with Georgia Tech, Campbell, and Alabama State 
as draws go for the number one overall seed, I mean, you could make a case this is somewhat difficult for them. Uh, I wouldn't make that case, but Georgia Tech is, uh, you know, capable of, of bashing right there with Tennessee. And Campbell has some really high-end talent, uh, but I don't, I don't think anyone's keeping up with the Vols this weekend. I wouldn't think so either. I mean, I think it's 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 tougher than what you would maybe expect with the number one overall seed. I guess I'll put it this way. There are softer regionals out there than this one. So if you're a believer that the number one overall seed should have the softest regional, which is not a right, you know, it, it's, it's, that's never been, you know, written out. It sometimes works out that way, but it is that that is not a, a right of the top overall seed. So it's tough in that. Yeah. Georgia tech can hit with them. Um, you know, Campbell is tough. Obviously they've got two, maybe first round picks, certainly two very high picks, regardless shortstop Zach Neto. And then, um, Thomas Harrington on the mound. And the good news for them is that, you know, Harrington obviously is going to have to go against Georgia tech. So they're not going to have to deal with Harrington, um, at least in a traditional, like starting the, the regional sense, maybe they, they circle him back around if they get to Monday or something in a, in a relief role or what have you. But regardless, um, a couple of tough teams there, but yeah, with the way the regional shakes out, they avoid some of the danger there. Um, you know, I, I like Tennessee here. Georgia Tech is just so one-sided as a team. Um, I don't Georgia Tech. I don't know how much they're going to have for Tennessee if they get back to a regional final on Sunday. And you know, Tennessee has a surplus of arms, and, and Georgia Tech, you know, Georgia Tech struggles on the on, you know t- to find primary arms, much less secondary and tertiary. And, and so I think that's a, a real concern in this regional for them. Yeah, I don't think either Campbell or Georgia Tech have the arms that would be required to even push Tennessee uh, when they come out of the losers bracket. And if by some weird way, Tennessee falls into the losers bracket, obviously no one has more pitching than they do. So uh, I feel, feel pretty good about Tennessee here. Um, you know, the number one overall seed hasn't won since 99, uh, but I don't think regionals weekend is where you have to worry about the, the slip up if you're the Vols. All right, let's move it out. West Stanford is your number two overall seed. They have Texas State, UCSB, and Bainhamton. Uh, kind of a weird one that Texas State got set to Stanford uh, with multiple regionals, like in the Texas Midwestern area. I, I assumed they would have stayed closer to home, uh, but they don't. They're, uh, they're getting shipped out West. And again, I don't see any trouble here for Stanford, but I do think Texas State and UCSB are intriguing and um, they might push Stanford a little more than what we're talking about Georgia Tech and Campbell being able to push Tennessee. Yeah, it's it's weird on a couple of fronts with the teams they have out there with, you know, Texas State on one front. Yes, like they could have gone to Austin and like walked there basically. Um, now you never know how the puzzle fits. We're not in the, in the committee room. So like there are factors, you know, that go into that, but so they're getting shipped out that way. It also means that Gonzaga is not there. So Gonzaga ends up all the way across the country in Blacksburg. So just kind of weird on two fronts. This is where Texas state ended up, but you're right in that. I think this one could be, could be tricky. I still like, obviously I think Stanford's okay here, but you know, Texas state and UCSB are the two most dominant, I guess, unless you want to throw Davidson in there in the A-10, but the two most dominant conference champions from non-power conferences this year, um, you know, they both really just ran through their leagues and, and both uh, Sunbelt obviously was a pretty good league this year. And, you know, the Big West was not. We've, we've talked about that a million times, but man, 27 and three, I don't care what league you're in. And we know they're talented. And, and frankly, 
you know, Santa Barbara is probably a two just because the big West is not particularly good this year. Their RPI was in a place where it was hard for them to be a two. So really, I mean, that's a regional, I think that has two, two seeds with Texas state and Santa Barbara. It's just kind of a coin flip there. So um, it could be tricky for Stanford, but with the way Stanford's playing right now, I don't have too much concern about them. Yeah. I kind of thought that they should have pushed UCSB up to the two line. And then this regional could have had UCSB and San Diego both. Um, there are twos with similar resumes to, to UCSB, but their RPI is what it is. So, uh, yeah, but the the fact that Stanford doesn't have to face Corey Lewis, uh, I think, is the the big key here. And I, I expect the Cardinal to, to roll pretty easily. Uh, okay, so moving on to the number three overall seed. Uh, that is Oregon State uh, in Corvallis. They also have Vanderbilt, San Diego, and New Mexico State. Uh, you mentioned Gonzaga not getting sent to Stanford, and they did get sent there, nor did they get sent here. I thought Gonzaga would have been locked in uh, to, to Corvallis. Instead, uh, they send the other WCC team, that's San Diego, uh, to Corvallis. Vanderbilt is an intriguing two seed. I uh, don't super duper know what to make of Vanderbilt. Um, certainly, at times, we've thought they've been really good this year. At times, they've looked pretty terrible. Um, I, this is this is an intriguing two three game uh, there with uh, with UCSD and uh, and Vanderbilt on Friday. Yeah, I'd believe anything in terms of what Vanderbilt does here. From I mean, really, zero uh, and two. I mean, that would be you know I, I'd be surprised by that. But you know, if you told me it happened, like. You know, I guess I would believe you with how up and down they've been this season. And I believe they sweep through this thing because they're just they're that talented. But I think you're right to to really latch on to that two, three matchup being interesting. I mean, I've not seen an official rotation for San Diego, but I have to assume they're going to throw Bryson Motts. And that guy's good. 124 strikeouts this season, and 83 and two thirds innings. Uh, he can pitch um, and San Diego generally can pitch. They've got some good bullpen arms like they're going to be able to throw the kitchen sink at Bandy in game one. And. Um, you know, and we know, especially with the struggles Vandy has had this season and the up and down nature that if they get losers bracket, that's going to be tough. So, um, that is a, a massive, massive game in this regional and, um, sets up well for Oregon state for maybe those two teams to have to beat up on each other a little bit to win that game. Um, and then of course, being able to save Jerpy for that second game is just huge. So there's an opportunity here for Oregon state to really be sitting pretty after day one of the regional. And, and that might be required because Vanderbilt is, is talented enough that I, I don't think you really want to mess around in this regional and give them an opportunity. So they're actually not saving Jerpy. They're going to throw Jerpy against. Oh, okay. State. Fair enough. Uh, I anticipated they would, schedule. but yeah, it surprises me. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I personally think the whole like save your ace bit is way overblown. Um, if you're a team like Oregon state, you need to just win period. Like you don't, you, you save your ace when you need to do something like I, the, if you're running out, Chirpy, Kamats, and Fennigs, like you should just be confident that those three guys are going to win you a regional and uh, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, I feel like saving Chirpy would actually be like a sign of weakness uh, if you're Oregon State. And maybe that's dumb. Maybe you should just save Chirpy and, and, and go with it. But I, I, I like the show of faith in Kamats uh, to say that he's going to start game two. I think Vanderbilt, though, has to beat San Diego if they're going to win this regional. I don't think they can get off schedule. Um, they need Holton to, to beat San Diego. Uh, 
you know, they have Fitrell, they have McIlvain behind him still, but I just would not want to roll into a loser's bracket. Um, you know, it just, you, you can't afford that if you're Vanderbilt. I, I think they have to, they have to stay as on schedule as they possibly can. All right. Moving on, we've got number four seed Virginia Tech. Joe, you're going to be in Blacksburg um, for this one. It's uh, it's an intriguing one as you've got Virginia Tech, Gonzaga, Columbia, and Wright State. Um, again, a little bit strange that Gonzaga's going across the country, but I love the uh, the contrast in styles. Virginia Tech has you know one of the best offenses in the country. They're going to be they're going to be out there with the big hammer uh, for, for all their home runs and Gonzaga, which is one of the better pitching staffs in the country. So, uh, you know, two, two very contrasting styles here from the top two, two seeds in this regional. Yeah. And you, you talk about teams, you know, like Oregon state, you, you talk about teams that should just have confidence kind of with what they have. And that that's Gonzaga. I mean, Gabriel Hughes is the, is the big name there. He's the team USA guy. He's, you know, they're going to be the high, high draft pick, all, all that stuff. But, you know, they go deep with, you know, you know, reeling and, and Kempner when Kempner's been healthy this season and some good bullpen pieces and um, Owen wild. I mean, so, I mean, they have enough arms to get through this thing. Now the trick is going to be obviously slowing down <laughs> the Virginia tech offense, but I do like um, I do like Gonzaga as a, tr- as a really tricky two seed here because the other factor is, look, there's a lot of pressure built in when you have teams that are hosting for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And I think Virginia Tech qualifies going back to 2013 when they hosted and they struggled when they hosted in 2013, frankly. So this is a different team. This is obviously a much better team than that 2013 team. But there is kind of some inherent pressure in that first time hosting situation. And Gonzaga is a team that's pretty unflappable, kind of feels like they're a team that's ready for whatever we saw that with the way they played Oklahoma state on the road earlier this season, they've got the pitching talent to get it done. Um, but it is a couple teams that feel like they, they have to kind of stay with what they do here. I mean, Gonzaga can't just cannot afford to get into slugfest with not just Virginia tech, but like Columbia can swing it pretty well. Um, it's hard to know what to expect with Columbia because they've been in the, you know, the Ivy league for the, the latter half of the season. And so the competition level is what it is, but you know, Gonzaga is not gonna be able to win slugfests. They, they just don't win games that way. That's not what they want to do. They want to stay on schedule with pitching. I think they've got an opportunity to do that until they run into Virginia tech in the latter half of the weekend. Um, and they, they'd still have the pitching to do it in that situation. It just gets so much harder when you're talking about Sunday versus, you know, even a winner's bracket game on Saturday. Right straight, right state is a tricky four, not as tricky as they were last year. That team just lost so much talent from last year when they were the best four seed in the entire field. However, this is a program that expects to win in situations like this. And when it comes to four seeds, that kind of belief goes a long way because there are four seeds, even though every team will tell you that they're not just happy to be there. There are four seeds, I will tell you, that are just kind of happy to be there. Right state is never going to be that four seed. Um, they want to win. They play a tough schedule every year. They won a game against Virginia Tech in a series early this season. So this is not going to be new for them. So Virginia Tech, you know, if they if they play their game, they'll be fine. But it's not a situation where they're just going to be able to waltz in and, and win on Friday just by playing their C-plus game, probably. No, I think that's a, a huge deal that Wright State is going to know that they can, can beat this Virginia Tech team because they've already done it. They're the first team this year to beat Virginia Tech. 
Um, and so I, I, that's a, it's a big confidence builder for the Raiders. I, um, I, I think you're right not to shortchange Columbia. Uh, we'll be very curious to see what they look like, but uh, they certainly played well in the, in the Ivy League. Uh, but for me, this all comes down to Virginia Tech and Gonzaga. And I don't know whether Gonzaga should be happy that they got out of Corvallis or not. On the one hand, uh, in Corvallis, they'd be facing a really, really good team, um, but they would be doing it more on their terms. Uh, the weather in Corvallis is supposed to be pretty chilly this weekend, kind of pitching friendly. Uh, here they're going up and, and you just get the contrasting style. So either the bats are going to be a problem or because Gonzaga has the arms, they'll have the advantage. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm very interested to see how that one uh, shakes out. All right, let's go to College Station. Texas A&M is the number five overall seed. They have TCU, Louisiana, and Oral Roberts. Uh, Joe, do you know if there are any um, coaching ties between uh, any of these schools? Probably not. No, Seems I unlikely. I don't think so, yeah. Um, it, is, uh, it is an intriguing field here. I mean, you have A&M, you have TCU. Uh, TCU, of course, won the, the Big 12 regular season title. ULL is, I mean, they, they played very well most of the season. They uh, certainly have played very well down the stretch. The Cajuns are coming in pretty hot. And uh, the Matt Deggs offense is just a difficult one to deal with. Uh, so TCU there on that first game is going to have to deal with the ultra aggressive Cajuns. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are just looking forward to a A&M TCU game, uh, the Schloss Bowl, uh, or, or just the, the rematch of all of the many TCU A&M games that we've seen over the last decade in the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, do not sleep on the Cajuns here because they really could muck up this whole regional. Yeah, they're they're not a comfortable matchup. I mean, the Degs offense is maybe not quite fully operational yet, um, but they were be a better version of that this year. And Carson Roccaforte, you know, the best player on, on the team there has been really good. Um. But that, yeah, they're just not a team you want to see as a three because they're not going to play you straight up. They're, they're going to do things different from what you normally see. And TCU is also not playing particularly well right now. I mean, they, they fairly quick exited the Big 12 tournament and became clear they, they weren't going to host. And um, so, yeah, they, they certainly can't afford to look past uh, the Cajuns, which, you know, for those listening at home, jokes aside, I think people know the, the Schlossnagel, uh, you know, connection with TCU and A&M, but also Matt Deggs was an assistant at A&M um, for a while. So like there is that, that more minor connection here. Um, TC, yeah, but TCU can't afford to look past that. Obviously, um, you know, the, the, the big matchups that, you know, organizers are certainly hoping for is that A&M TCU matchup, which in addition to the coaching stuff, they obviously have a lot of postseason history here. That's kind of what they're, what they're looking forward to has a chance to be pretty offensive regional, I think. A&M's pitching has backslid a little bit from when it was at its peak. There was a time when Nathan Detmer was pitching like one of the best arms in the SEC and so on and so forth. That has backslid. TCU's not pitching particularly well right now. They've obviously had injury issues and they're mixing and matching a little bit. And the Cajuns are more of an offensive club than they are a pitching club at this point. Um, that's just kind of what they're going for. So has a chance to, to see, you have a chance to see a lot of runs scored in this regional and, and, those types of regionals do tend to have some high variability in, in who wins them. So this, this could be a lot of fun. 
Tim Schlossnagel only lost two home regionals slash super regionals in his time at TCU. Um, I do like that advantage for uh, for AM this weekend. Kirk Sarlus will miss game one as he continues to serve his suspension from the, uh, oh, I don't know, the ridiculous ejection that he got uh, against Texas at the end of the Big 12 tournament run for, for the Frogs. And um, Matt Deggs has uh, taken a team to Super Regional. So I, I think that you've got some intriguing uh, experience here, even though none of these teams have a ton of experience. AM, of course, last year, um, you know, missed even the SEC tournament. TCU did make regionals, but I feel like has turned over a fair amount of that roster and they didn't play particularly well in Fort Worth last year anyway. Uh, and the Cajuns haven't been, uh, haven't been to regionals uh, under, under Deggs before. So, you know, some of that inexperience I'll, I'll be interested to see, but I, I do like what AM is, uh, is bringing out here. Let's go to Coral Gables, where Miami is the number six overall seed. And this one, uh, I mean, we'll break down the, uh, the teams here. It's Miami, Arizona, Ole Miss, and Canisius. Uh, but really, Joe, this is potentially a story of man versus nature. Yeah, uh, bad news for the, the, you know, weather looks, I haven't looked at every regional, but weather generally, I mean, it's hot in some places, but that's June for you. Um, the weather looks pretty good in most places, except Coral Gables, uh, where it looks like it's going to be really bad. Um, you know, tropical depression stuff, you know, coming in kind of, kind of bad. So um, if they play it, well, they're going to play it. I say if they're playing, like there's a, you know, it might get a little, a uh, little moved around, but when they play it, um, it is going to be fun. Like it's, it's a fun regional where you just don't know what you're going to get from at least the top three seeds where, you know, Ole Miss is a team, you know, we've, we've kind of documented their ups and downs, but obviously their upside is tremendous. And same thing for Arizona. That's a team that we thought was going to be right there with, um, you know, right there with Stanford, you know, competing for a Pac-12 title. They weren't that, um, but here they are. And then of course, Miami's had a really nice season. I mean, those are, those are three teams that at various points of the year thought they could be hosting and, and or top eights. And, and here they are all in the same regional. It's just uh, Miami hasn't hosted. Well, I think it's been since 2016 and, and this is the draw they get, which is not the easiest draw. And then you add, you add weather on top of it, which could be a real problem for, I mean, really any of those top three teams, given that, the regional getting strung out into extra days means pitching gets extra taxed and none of those teams really strike me as being super prepared for that. So this one could get really, really wild really, really quickly. Yeah. I think uh, everyone here, Miami is the deepest on the mound, but I think everyone is going to want to stay on schedule. Um, the, the Ole Miss of this all is, is interesting. Uh, they are playing pretty well down the stretch. Obviously they, were made a quick exit at the SEC tournament, but you know, this is a team that swept LSU and Baton Rouge not very long ago. Um, so you gotta you gotta be very careful with the Rebs. And then Arizona, I you know, I mean we've certainly talked about on a week-to-week basis, like what are you gonna get from them? But they're really talented. Uh, they have seemingly risen to the occasion more often than not this year. It's it's more when they're playing teams that you feel like, well, okay, like you definitely should take care of them that the Wildcats seem to have trouble. Uh, so Miami does not get an easy draw here. I, uh, I would not be surprised to see some sort of upset, um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami win it either. I, I, I think this one just feels totally wide open. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, if there were betting lines on this thing, like in a traditional sense, maybe there are, I just don't know about it, but um, this one feels like it would be real even across the board for the first three teams in terms of where the money is. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Stillwater. Oklahoma State is the number seven overall seed. They draw Arkansas, Grand Canyon, and Missouri State. Um, tricky, tricky two here with Arkansas. Don't really know what to expect from them, but uh, tricky two. And obviously, Grand Canyon has some big wins. They've been Texas Tech. They've, uh, you know, they, they, they have a lot of good, good wins on the resume. That's why they're an at-large team in the field. Uh, and Missouri State can mash. I like I. I think you have to look at Oklahoma state here as being the, the clear favorite, but I also don't think anyone's going to be surprised if the pokes struggle this weekend. Yeah. It's, it's one of those deals where you see Arkansas show up in a region. If you're Oklahoma state, you see Arkansas show up in your regional and you kind of like draw in a breath. And then because it's just a, not a name you want to see pop up in your regional. And I get it. Like that's a team we assumed would host, even with their RPI problems, we kind of assumed like, ah, that they'll, they'll get there. Right. And they just never did. And I wrote up this regional. It's just been such a weird season for Arkansas, which goes without saying, but it's, it's a lot of, they had a lot of guys take steps back. They had some guys not really be impact guys right away. If they expected, you know, the sec put it They're All sec team is a really tight team they don't have some conferences put like 90 million people on their all conference teams sec doesn't but still arkansas didn't have a single player on it it's the only team i previewed for regionals that didn't have a single player on an all conference team and so i think that kind of shows you like just that it hasn't been a standout season and yet they won a lot of games and i think that's a skill we've talked about how that's a skill so it wouldn't be a surprise to see them make a run here but like vanderbilt i just don't know what to expect and they're going to have their hands full in game one with grand canyon team that played a tough schedule on the mound. They're going to see Nick hole or Daniel Avidia. Um, I'd be a little more nervous about Avidia because that's a pro, pro not, not to take anything away from Nick hole. Who's a very nice pitcher, but Avidia has got pro stuff. I mean, he was drafted and he's been really good for them ever since they moved him into the rotation. So that's, that's a tough matchup. Um, you know, Oklahoma state playing pretty well right now. They played well at the big 12 tournament. It's a team that likes tournaments, you know, that they, they tend to play well at the big 12 tournament. They've, you know, obviously played well in regionals uh, quite a bit. Um, so it's a team that seems kind of well conditioned to this kind of thing. So I like them here, just given that I'm not sure what exactly to expect from Arkansas and, and what I'll say about Missouri state. If you get into slugfest, they can beat you. Yeah, the pitching isn't deep. Uh, it's not that doesn't have a lot of high end quality necessarily. Their MVC ERA was over seven, but they can hit home runs. And so if you get into a 14, 12 game with them, um, they're, they're going to like that. So that that's where they get dangerous is if you get into a slug fest with them. Otherwise I think these teams can handle them. Do you think any of these teams have enough pitching? Uh, no, that's going to be probably a problem. I mean, I actually kind of like in now it's a different level of competition. I actually like Grand Canyon's depth on the mound. <laughs> like they've got some good bullpen arms that are like guys they can throw two, three, four innings at a time. So I actually kind of like what they have. It's just a matter of how much does that depth show up in a regional setting where the competition is better than what they see week to week in the whack. Um, but generally, no. I mean, you know, and we can say that about so many of these regionals. <laughs> Do you think any of these teams have enough pitching? Um, that's going to be the question of the weekend. I, I have a feeling. All right, let's uh, let's head to Greenville, where East Carolina is the number eight seed. Uh, a lot has been made of 
oh, well, East Carolina finally got that top eight seed. Like, if they don't do it this year, when are they ever going to make it to, to regionals or to, to Omaha? And I'm here to tell you that East Carolina got a really tough draw. Uh, Virginia, Coastal Carolina, Coppin State round out this regional. Now, Coppin State is probably the worst team in the tournament. Uh, so in that way, East Carolina lucks out. Uh, but UVA and Coastal as your 2-3, I mean, that is uh, – that, that, that's really tough. No, I agree. Obviously, nobody has to sell you and I on the high end ability of Virginia. We were, you know, we were pretty high on them for a lot of the season. And, you know, we're, we're surprised to see the backslide they they've dealt with throughout the latter half of the season, but certainly the, the ability is there for this to be an Omaha team again, especially with that offense and coastal coastal is a team that I think is better than I was giving them credit for. Like, you know, I went back when I previewed this regional and, kind of looked at them again and was like, man, this team actually really came on stronger than I thought. Um, you know, I forget what the exact record is. I could open up the file where I wrote it up, but I mean, they, they were like something like 20 and five down the stretch or something insane. Um, they really got, got going and they're unique in that a lot of three seeds don't have a one, two in the rotation like they do, but they've got Reed Van Scooter and, and Michael Knorr who have both been really good in the rotation. Um, not a lot of teams that are three seeds can really put together a quality one, two like that. So that is, that's unique there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, certainly when you're talking about hot teams, nobody's hotter than East Carolina, but Coastal's pretty close. And I think either of those teams could, could beat East Carolina. And I think one thing that works in East Carolina's favor here, we talk about pitching, is that they're okay kind of just having to throw numbers forward on the pitching staff. Like we talk about teams having to stay on schedule. Well, East Carolina doesn't have a schedule. They're kind of fine with whatever, you know, <laughs> they're going to throw their bullpen guys. They're going to use openers. They're going to use 10 guys in a game if they have to. They're okay with all of the above. Um, and I think, you know, generally you don't want to be in that kind of situation. I think they would tell you we'd much rather have Gavin Williams, or I guess in this case, Carson Wisenhunt, you know, having him on the team. They would much rather have that. But given what they've had to do, like they've found a way to make it work. And in a regional, when your pitching is going to get chewed up, even if you get through this thing, your pitching is probably going to get chewed up at least once. Having that type of pitching staff where they just know they're going to have to mix and match and, and mess around with stuff. You know, at least they have some experience doing it. Whereas a lot of these teams just haven't had to do that a lot this season. They've got to feel better too, because I'm sure they're going to hold Mayhew for uh, the second game. And uh, you know, it, if they get coastal, you know, yes, coastal does have a really good one too. And obviously you get, they get Virginia. There's just good pitching to be had, but uh, to know that you would have your ace uh, for that game would probably feel pretty good for the Pirates. Um, you know, I know I said what I said earlier about holding your ace, but in this case, I think that's uh, that is the way to go uh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what what uh, the Pirates have. They have not seen this level of competition super recently. Um, the American did not test them. At a, in a way that we are used to seeing at test teams. Um, so what what are they going to do against a team like Virginia, a team like Coastal Carolina? It's a bit of an open question. Obviously, East Carolina is playing incredibly well right now, but this is going to be a step up from what they've been seeing for the last two months, I would say. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, we're halfway through the field. And uh, let's go to the number nine overall seed. That is Texas. Uh, And in Austin, uh, you've got... Louisiana Tech, DBU, and Air Force matching up with the Longhorns. Um, I, it's a tricky four here. One of the harder fours they'll get because Paul Skeens is a legit dude that Air Force is going to throw against Pete Hansen on Friday. Uh, but after that, you know, as long as Texas can win that game, DBU and La Tech just don't scare me that much right now uh la tech has won 40 games and finished second in conference usa and it's a good team uh dbu is confusing uh obviously given how poorly they played in missouri valley conference but i don't know uh what what, what do you make of this draw for for the horns joe first of all say hi to millie for me um but no i think i'm kind of with you i i tough four you know um air force has had a really good year they can swing it you know, Skeens is a, is a real guy. All that's true. I, I'm with you though. Like Louisiana tech is, is good, but not as good as they were last year. I guess that goes out saying, cause they're not hosting, but not quite as good as they were last year capable, but you know, I'm not sure um, ready to really win this, win this regional. Um, and then the three seed with DBU, like obviously they're talented, but I think at this point, the struggles in Valley play were so profound that, I mean, they, they I think they, there were some sweeps in there, I think, but I think they lost a majority of their Valley series. Maybe they won four of seven of them. I don't know, but either way, they just, they, they weren't very good in Valley play and that's the entire second half of the season. And so at this point, I think we kind of have to just continue with the fact that they just are what they are. And they just were just kind of a, an okay team played pretty well in non-conference and just didn't play well the second half of the season. And so anytime you see Dallas Baptist pop up in a regional, you think that's a capable team and they are capable I just don't know if this is the team 
to get it done, but, but we'll see. Meanwhile, Texas uh, obviously played well, big 12 tournament got to the final. I think crucially, not just they're playing well. I think also crucially they came out of it feeling, you know, as good as you can feel about their bullpen feels like a couple of guys kind of really stepped up there. Tristan Stevens being back in the bullpen as much as they I'm sure would love to have him starting and feeling good about starting and all of that. At the very least, he is a pretty good weapon at the back of the bullpen. He pitched well in Arlington in that role. You know, Hanson and Gordon are throwing the ball well. Um, you know, the, the, the lineup will be healthier. There were a couple of guys sick. You know, Ivan Melinda, Silas Ardwan, both sick last week at the Big 12 tournament. So maybe a little bit healthier there. They just seem to be playing really well right now. So you combine that with a draw that feels manageable, and I think they're in good shape. Yeah, and honestly, even if they were to lose to Skeens on Friday, like they have everything they would need to come out of the loser's bracket. Um, DPU just doesn't have pitching. Like, I I prepared to be proven wrong this weekend, I suppose, but like they just don't have pitching. And Louisiana Tech, I don't think has the depth. It's a really experienced team. It's a team that knows what a regional is going to look like. But yeah, I, I just, if I, if I was Texas, I'd feel pretty good about the draw minus the fact that they have to face a a guy who, you know, played for Team USA last year. And, you know, I, it's hard to evaluate Skeens as a draft prospect because of the, you know, different way that service academies have to deal with that sort of thing. But, like, he's a legit dude, uh, and, and he's maybe the best pitcher on any four seeds. So, like, that's challenging. But the rest of this I, I feel pretty good about uh, for, for the Horns. So we'll uh, – we will see how they handle that. But I, again, I, I, I think they got a great draw. And frankly, even if you look ahead a week, I think they got a really nice draw uh, with East Carolina as well. I think they can match up pretty well there. If, uh, if that does come to pass. All right. Your number 10 overall seed is uh, North Carolina. So let's go to Chapel Hill. Uh, UNC speaking of good draws, uh, this one is a great draw, I would say, uh, as, as these things go. They have Georgia, VCU, and Hofstra. Georgia certainly has struggled uh, a lot this season. They have a great RPI, and they have some really nice series wins. It, 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 it certainly is true, but down the stretch, uh, they just did not play particularly well. VCU uh, is, is going to mash but I don't think that they have what it takes to win this regional and uh, Hofstra uh, their first uh, NCAA tournament appearance. So uh, good on the pride. Yeah. Shouts to Hofstra, you know, first 31 season since 2012, first regional ever. I saw in their game notes, they actually got selected for the 1960 NCAA tournament, but because finals were on the day of the game, they had to play, they had to take a pass on that. So a tough, tough beat for that team, but uh, they'll be making their first actual NCAA tournament appearance. Just, yeah, soft draw for, for Carolina and considering they're not a top eight, that's, you know, that's obviously what they're looking for. Georgia's kind of a mostly an RPI two, as I like to call the term, you know, the RPI was just so high that it was kind of inevitable. They'd be a two, but not a team playing like a two seed. We've talked about it before, very Jonathan Cannon dependent. You know, they have to get good starts from him. That's where it really, everything begins for them with the injuries they've had this season. VCU, one thing to watch for with them is they do weird stuff on the mound. Um, you know, they have their best pitcher. It's a guy named Campbell Ellis who started 20 games this year because, you know, he'll throw four innings on the weekend and then come back and throw three in the midweek or something. 
Um, so they do, they do some wonky stuff there on the mounds. So it's just kind of an interesting little setup to watch as this weekend unfolds. He obviously Tyler Locklear is the guy on offense for VCU to watch. Um, it's, it's a pretty decent offense in general. Um, however, he does have over one third of their team's total home runs. So it does strike me as a type of lineup that you just really don't want that one guy to beat you. That's obviously easier said than done because every team VCU has played this year has had that same strategy and he had a monster year. So that's how it goes. But yeah, for Carolina, uh, you know, I always have to do the caveat of like anything can happen, but this feels like a, a just a very, very winnable region for Car- regional for Carolina. If you're Georgia, do you hold cannon? I think you have like, I think that's your only shot. Like, I don't mean to be super down on it, but yeah, I mean, this, this strikes me as a situation where like, yes, because I mean, the other thing about it is too, is I think you can pitch this VCU lineup. Like you just don't let Locklear beat you again, easier said than done. But if you're Georgia, like you're like, yeah, we have sec arms. Like maybe they're not the best ones in the sec, but you know, their best chance to win this regional is for cannon to face Carolina Saturday night get to two and oh, and then be ready to really get in some rock fights on Sunday to try to win the regional. Like to me, that's, that's the path for them. And I mean, Cannon, after he came back from the injury, wasn't pitching on Fridays anyway. And like, so you could just kind of just say like, ah, we're sticking with what we were doing. Like I, yeah, I, I would not throw Cannon on Friday. Um, you're here to win the regional. Like if, if, if that's what we're doing, if we're, if we're here to win a regional, I think you have to hold Cannon and just trust that, you can beat VCU without him. And if you can't beat VCU without him, like you're not winning this regional to begin with. So uh, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking about one, you know, what, what one should hold their ACE, but I'm honestly more, way more interested in the, what two, three should hold their ACE because like, that's, that, that's the only way they're getting out of this thing. All right, let's uh, go to the number 11 overall seed. That is Southern Miss. They are hosting uh, LSU, Kennesaw State, and Army. And, uh, oh, boy, (laughs) we talked about some easy regionals here. This one feels like anything but. LSU uh, certainly would have been capable of hosting a regional. The RPI just didn't quite match up at the end. Uh, But this is a team that finished fourth in the SEC, uh, you got Kennesaw State, which uh, has just won a bunch of games and, and played pretty well down the stretch. Uh, and Army, as a four, uh, you know, they don't have a Paul Skeens, but this is a team that has been in regionals four straight years. They're not going to be overwhelmed. Uh, they have won games every once in a while in that that run. Uh, so I, nothing about this feels easy for Southern Miss. Cleaning something up quickly, I did a quick Twitter search. Jonathan Cannon starting on Friday. So they are going with the traditional route Georgia is. So just cleaning that up from our previous conversation. Well, there's still time to change it, Scott. That is Strickland, true. If you're listening, uh, and I know true. you are. Yeah, if, he so. wants to take, if he wants to take our <laughs> advice on it, and why wouldn't he? Um, but yes, yeah, so Army, a tough matchup. They're another one of those teams that is just not fun to play. They play. They are another team that likes to run. They like to bunt. They're, they're going to really put pressure on a defense. And that's just, again, like, these teams that play in bigger leagues don't always see a ton of that. And so that can be a, ch- a particular challenge there. Um, and then of course for Southern Miss seeing LSU is just, uh, just oof because you know, they're obviously very, very good. That team could have easily hosted if a couple of games go a different direction. It's a team that was, you know, top 10 good in the preseason. That was the expectation anyway. So in addition to the fact that their fans are going to buy up every last available ticket in that thing, And, you know, they're going to probably, you know, especially in games that don't involve Southern Miss, they are going to take over that stadium. So 
um, that's just a tough one for, for Southern Miss, but creates like really fascinating potential matchup situations when those two teams play each other. Southern Miss is a team that doesn't play in a power five, but has power five quality pitching and power five pitching depth. And so that's a good matchup, interesting matchup against LSU's offense, which of course can, can really, really mash. And I don't want to sell LSU's pitching staff short. It's not a traditional pitching staff. So I think sometimes we forget about it, but they've done some interesting things with their bullpen and have found some bullpen guys along the way. So they're not the weak sisters of the poor in terms of what they're trying to do on the mound, even if it, it just looks a little different from what you're used to. Yeah, definitely contrast and styles here as Southern Miss is all about the arms and LSU is, is going to be more about the bats. But yes, do not sell LSU short on the mound. Uh, they've done some incredible things. I, starting the year, there were a lot of questions about what LSU was going to be on the mound. Uh, the into the second half of SEC play, they've really cleaned a lot of that up. You're not the deepest group, but uh, it's uh, it's a group that that is going to be tough to beat this weekend. All right, let's go to Louisville, number twelve seed Cardinals. Welcome in Oregon, Michigan, and Southeast Missouri State. And Joe, we've talked about how several regionals are going to be pretty offensive. This one might be the most offensive regional out there. Um, Louisville, obviously, is one of the top offenses in the country. Oregon is certainly more on the, the hitting end than on the pitching end. Michigan is the, – the, their pitching staff is, is definitely not vintage Michigan. Like, it's not the staff that you saw in 2019. Uh, they're, they're definitely about the offense – uh, there are going to be some runs scored this weekend in Louisville. Yeah. I mean, in, in a four seed SEMO 95 home runs on the year, like it's, it's, you know, it, it's going to be, it, there are going to be some hacks in Louisville. You know, it, it's a combination of teams with good offenses and some pitching issues that are going to compound <laughs> that situation. It might be some ugly long games in Louisville. And I think by the time we get to Sunday night or, or Monday, whenever this thing ends, I think it's going to be which team survived this thing as opposed to which team, um, which team really took this thing, because I think that's going to what it's going to kind of look like. And some of that is just because we're kind of conditioned to not look at games that are won 13 to 10 as a team really controlling the game. We, we tend to look at that from like a pitching standpoint, but um, that so maybe that's a little bit unfair, but I think that's going to be the, the way this thing is perceived. Cause I, I think the most surprising outcome of this thing, more so than any one team winning it, except I guess SEMO, the most surprising outcome here would just be one team just really pitching this thing and winning the regional because I I have an extremely hard time seeing any scenario where that's the case. If it, it does happen, it's going to be Louisville. Jared Poland is uh, a really good guy, guy to have at the front of your rotation, and they have other trusted arms uh, that they can throw out there. Uh, but I, I just think with the offenses that they're going to be dealing with, with Oregon and Michigan and SEMO, uh, to your point with all the, all of its home runs, uh, I, I think it's going to be hard even for the Louisville pitching staff to, to take control of this regional. Um, the ball this time of year at Jim Patterson Stadium flies anyway, and then you throw in the fact that all four of these teams can swing the bats really well, and this, uh, this definitely just has super offensive weekend written all over it. All right, moving on to Gainesville, number 13 seed Florida is hosting. And we talked about the weather being a problem in Miami. There's a chance, I guess, that the tropical depression pushes far enough north that it's also a problem in Gainesville. But 
seems like right now the forecast is that Gainesville will not be Rainsville this weekend. So we'll see if that holds. Um, this is a pretty wide open regional for me. One of the tougher draws out there. Uh, Florida welcomes in Oklahoma, Liberty, and Central Michigan. Uh, if Paul Skeens isn't the best pitcher that a four seed has to throw out there, Andrew Taylor is. Uh, Central Michigan, very experienced as well. Um, they played in a regional final a year ago, and they upset Miami and Starkville in 2019. So that's uh, it's a team that knows what it's doing in the tournament. Oklahoma should be hosting, as I said, uh, on Monday. And then Liberty is a team that already has a series win uh, in Gainesville this year. So uh, they're, they're certainly going to be confident going back down there. Uh, I could see this going any number of ways. Agreed. I think this is the, this is the regional that I'm most fascinated to see how it plays out. Um, Cause I, there are truly three teams that I, would not be surprised at all if they won it. And even central Michigan, just with how successful that program has been the last several years, like even that would not be the most shocking thing that's ever happened, especially if Andrew Taylor just goes out and, and really, you know, shoves it against Florida uh, to set them up well the rest of the weekend. So yeah, it feels, feels pretty open here. Um, obviously Florida being a little bit inconsistent this season, which I guess is being kind to put it that way, like being inconsistent as they've been is adds to the fact that it feels a little bit wide open Oklahoma playing as well as it has lately is adding to that. And one, one wrinkle of Oklahoma is we've, we've kind of bagged on their pitching this year. And I think that's totally fair, but I think, you know, what you saw last weekend in Arlington is that what you're seeing there with Oklahoma is less that the arms are not good and more that they are just, they're just inconsistent. So last weekend you, you had a last week, you had a situation where Jake Bennett was really good. And Trevin Michael out of the bullpen was really good and pitched. And I think literally every game, David Sandlin was really good. They got, you know, some good stuff from Kate Horton in the championship game, uh, so on and so forth. And so when those guys all pitch, well, that's what you get. Um, when some subset of those guys don't pitch well, you get something less than that. And Oklahoma's offense has been good enough the second half of the year to make up for that. But this is a team that when they're also getting the pitching on track and they have a good week or weekend throwing the ball, I mean, yeah, they're, they're obviously a team deserving of a host and they're, they're a team, frankly, that could be an Omaha team, but it's just from week to week, you don't know exactly what you're going to get on that side of the ball. They, uh, strike me as a team that really needs to stay on schedule. I like their front end pitching. I don't want to see what's left behind it though. Um, you know, Bennett is excellent. Sandlin certainly has the stuff to be really good. And Horton seems like he's coming into his own and Trevin Michael is an absolute weapon at the back end. But once you get past those four guys, I'm less interested in seeing what the Sooners have. Um, so I think they, they really need to, to stand schedule. Whereas Florida is a team that, has a lot of different arms to throw at you as we saw in the sec tournament. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, that, that is a potential difference maker. If you're, if you're Florida is that if you show up in a loser's bracket on Sunday, you're still going to feel like, all right, we've got the pitching to, to finish this out. Um, Oklahoma might not be able to, to say the same thing. Number 14 overall seed Auburn. We got Auburn, UCLA, Florida State, and Southeastern Louisiana. If Gainesville isn't the most wide open regional, this one might be for me. Uh, UCLA, Florida State, 
as an opener is is delicious and i think that's why espn2 grabbed it uh that's that's how you're going to open the the whole ncaa tournament there at noon uh as florida state and ucla um I, you got to feel good about auburn on some level but they're they're also a team that has been a little inconsistent here and uh florida state has as good a frontline starting pitching or frontline pitching as you're going to see and uh ucla has has plenty of of overall talent both on the mound and and you know at the plate so this one could go any number of ways for me yeah and this one feels a little bit like you know the the photo negative of gainesville where in gainesville it feels wide open because it's like oklahoma could just go and take this thing and liberty could just go and take this thing and, and of course florida has played well down the stretch they could just dot, run through this thing and, and have no no real challenge this one feels a little different where this feels like some of these teams have been so up and down this season, particularly UCLA and Florida state Auburn really has played pretty consistently well this season. It's just that they've been outmanned sometimes. And when they've lost games, that tends to be what it's been. It's not been, that they've just thrown things away. It's just that pitching injuries and pitching inconsistency and, and all that kind of, they just, they get outmanned sometimes. UCLA and Florida, Florida state though, like they have weekends where they just kind of like don't seem to want it, you know, <laughs> and they just like, here you go. You can, you can take this series. Um, you know, it, it, Florida state ran into a buzzsaw late with UNC, but that was an example there where, you know, Florida state was just, you know, you know, they, they, they let UNC just kind of take that series from them and they were in it for the most part. And UCLA has certainly had series like that. So this kind of strikes me as one where th- there is that potential where the, the winner here is, is, is the one that kind of gets something handed to them. On the other hand, you know, those top three teams have all had moments this season where they've been really, really good. I mean, again, we talk about Florida State being a team that, th- I mean, truly three weeks ago, we were talking about pretty seriously as a host. And they fall into a three. Uh, UCLA is the same way. If UCLA hadn't had RPI problems, maybe we would have talked about them more as a host. We just saw their RPI problems coming from a mile away. So they never quite got there. So a tough regional draw for Auburn, but man, I, you know, while I'm pretty confident just to compare it to Gainesville again, I'm pretty confident in Oklahoma and Liberty, uh, you know, and central Michigan playing well in that regional to really make a challenge here. Like I'm going to be fascinated to see like who comes out in this regional, really looking like they, they want it beyond Auburn. Cause I think we know Auburn's going to come out that way. They tend to, but of the other two teams, UCLA and Florida state, like who's going to come out wanting this thing. Auburn hasn't hosted since 2010. Uh, so this is going to be obviously uh, something they're really going to be up for. I am curious what they're going to look like, though, because they played one game last week and uh, in Hoover was all such how's their pitching going to be lined up. Like, obviously, they're going to have everyone rested, but um, I don't know. I, that, that one, again, it just feels open to me. And southeastern Louisiana uh, certainly is, is uh, a, a tricky opener for, for the Tigers. Moving on, number 15, Maryland, hosting in College Park. Got Wake Forest, Yukon, and Long Island. Uh, this one stands out to me as Maryland and Wake Forest uh, can absolutely mash. They both rank in the top 10 in the nation in scoring and in the top five in the nation in home runs. Yukon is not that. Yukon is all about its, its arms. It has a fine offense, but it just it doesn't hit home runs like that. Um, so is that a, a, a good zigzag for UConn uh, or 
is, you know, UConn is also a team that has only played one, uh, what one NCAA tournament team all year. So uh, what are they going to do against the, the increased level of competition uh, in, but, but can their arms keep Maryland and Wake Forest down or are Maryland and Wake Forest just going to have too much offense for them this weekend? And this turns into something of a, of a Maryland Wake Forest slugfest at the end. Yeah. UConn is the rare three. I mean, some of this is, is you allude to the competition. Like they just week to week in the big East, they weren't getting pushed in the way they will this weekend, but you know, UConn is the rare three where if, if their pitchers pitch up to the top of their potential, I mean, this can be, this, this regional could be on their arms, you know, like, and other teams may not be able to do anything about it. They're, they're that good on the mound, but Again, we, we just don't know what that's going to look like against better competition than, than they've seen for at least the last eight weeks, you know, and, and longer than that, truly. So that's that's a variable there. Maryland also, I mean, you and I talked about this offline. They've been a funny team this year where we got really enamored, and rightfully so, with their pitching staff, specifically their starting rotation early in the season. And that has really not necessarily held. They still get good work most of the time from Ramsey and Savakul. Um, but it hasn't been as elite as it was early and Nick Dean, uh, you know, missed some time, but also just hasn't been as effective the second half of the year and the bullpen's not as good as it was. And, and suddenly you look up and Maryland's kind of more of an offensive team than they are a pitching team. However, we know the latent potential is there with this pitching staff. And I think that's a key that there is an opportunity for Maryland to come out here and really be one, look like one of the more well-rounded teams in this, uh, in this whole field of 64, if, if they can get back to capturing the form that we saw from them early in the season. And I feel similarly about Wake Forest. They've just been a tough team to wrap your arms around. Obviously you like Rhett Louder at the front of the rotation. You like some of the power they have in the lineup and you just always wonder how well that, that power is going to travel. And I guess we're going to learn a little bit something about that this weekend. It should be said college park, of course, at, known as a pretty good hitters park, just with the dimensions being what they are. So perhaps that, um, that makes a situation where Wake Forest just feels a little bit at home in terms of that. Yeah, I don't think you got to worry about the power traveling this weekend if they were to advance. And, you know, we're talking about them playing Stanford, different story. Uh, but Wake Forest has some good arms. Uh, you know, it's not just Louder, who's the ACC Pitcher of the Year. It's also Teddy McGraw and Josh Hartle. Um, they got a good guy at the back of the bullpen, and Minichi. And I like Maryland has arms too. I like, I, it could end up being it because of where this regional is because of when it's being played in June, like I expect this to turn offensive, but if you just look at the arms for the top three seeds, it feels like it could be a pretty well-pitched regional. I just assume at some point though, the bats at wake forest and Maryland are going to run into some balls and that's going to be the difference maker here. And that's unfortunate for UConn because I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with that, but we'll uh, we, we will see. Number 16 overall seed, Georgia Southern, hosting in Statesboro. They've got Notre Dame, Texas Tech, UNC Greensboro. Joe, you said it when they got announced. So you want to host Georgia Southern? Well, try this one out. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a two-seed in Notre Dame that a lot of people think should have hosted. It's a three-seed in Texas Tech that, you know, again, talk about RPI problems. Without RPI problems and a couple more Big 12 wins, like, that team could have hosted and oh by the way like UNC Greensboro I didn't realize that I mean they started like 0 and 7 in conference play and were were like you know they were just way underwater this season and really were a lot better 
in the second half and they're pretty offensive. Like I, given that Georgia Southern is not the most pitching centric team. Um, I think that's, that's putting it, putting it mildly. Um, that feels kind of tricky too. There are tougher four seeds in this field, but it is a tough matchup for, for Georgia Southern. They're going to go up against a team that can swing it a little bit and can put some runs on the board because I think that could, that could be dangerous for them. So this is one where I, you talk about betting favorites. Like I truly think, and some of this is just brand recognition and on Texas tech's part, some history here, but I mean, if there were odds on the winner of this regional, the host team might be the third betting favorite behind Notre Dame and Texas Tech, because I just think the public would have such a hard time, you know, going against those two those two teams. And I'm not even here to say they're wrong necessarily, because we talked about the, the pressure that Virginia Tech might feel. Obviously, Georgia Southern is going to be in that that same position. You know, that there is pressure associated with playing at home in, in these types of situations. And you add on top of that the fact that they've got two really, really good teams coming to town. And I think it's going to be, it's just a tough draw for Georgia Southern. There's no way to put it. Yeah. This feels kind of similar to Louisiana tech last year is the number 16 uh, drawing NC state in Alabama. Um, and that was even an easier draw than this. The, if you look historically teams seated 13 through 16 do not do great uh, as, as home home regionals uh, go. And I just, I wouldn't feel great about Georgia Southern here. I don't know whether Notre Dame or Texas Tech is going to be the one that gets it done. Um, Texas Tech away from Lubbock is a bit of a different team. Obviously we know, but I I just, I would not feel great about Georgia Southern finding a way out of, um, you know, Notre Dame has so much experience. Texas Tech has so much experience. Not only has Georgia Southern never hosted, uh, you're talking about a team that hasn't been to regionals in a really long time. They're, They're just what the experience factor is going to be is, is definitely going to be in, uh, in Notre Dame and in Texas Tech's favor. So we shall see how this one turns out. But like I said, I, I, I don't feel great about the Eagles this weekend. All right. That is all 16 regions. We, uh, we ran through them all for you here on today's edition of the baseball America college podcast. Uh, Looking forward to a great weekend. We'll have plenty uh, of content over at baseballamerica.com throughout the weekend. And you can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. I'll be in College Park. Joe will be in Blacksburg. uh, But we'll have thoughts on uh, everything that's happening around the country as well. We will be back here on the podcast. Not on Monday, as usual. We'll be here on Tuesday, I I would expect unless like literally every regional wraps up on Sunday night and they won't also we'll uh, we'll probably come back here on Tuesday morning and get as many, as many of these uh, regional results in as we can before we uh, before we podcast again. So make sure you are subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts uh, you can uh, you can find us hit that subscribe or follow button and we will continue coming at you twice a week throughout the postseason. All right, Joe, I think I hit on it all there. I, I, don't, I don't think we have any other house cleaning to, to clean up. We, we, uh, we're just excited for the start of regionals. Ultimately, that's, uh, that's the big thing here. Uh, so check out every all the previews. Joe mentioned we've been writing these previews. They're all over there at baseballamerica.com. And um, yeah, we're, uh, we're ready to get this tournament started. I'm sick of previewing it. I'm ready to actually see it in action. And I'm sure you guys all are as well. Uh, so enjoy the weekend of, uh, of baseball. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the Baseball America podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. 
Thanks for listening. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.